Hi, this is Benjamin Turner of the Conspiracy Talk podcast. I am here to let you guys know that we are planning on doing an AMA for the podcast. We've been planning on doing this for a while, but we just haven't gotten around to doing an announcement for it. But now we are doing that. And I would just like to let you guys know that you could send your questions to our business email. And we will try to answer them as long as it's not too personal or just too wacky that we really don't want to go there. Another thing I'd like to say is we've also thought about possibly doing other stuff to be more interactive with our audience by that. I mean, just thinking up ideas. So you can give us those. Thank you. This is a disclaimer. Ben and I do not actually believe or support these conspiracy theories. Now, on to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We realize it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been about almost six months since we recorded our last episode for the Christmas Eve special. Yeah, and we realize we are terrible at setting dates for this episode. Yeah, we pushed it back how many times? Like eight? Nine? Something like that. Like we we originally planned for it to be in January... Then we Actually, went back to like, school. Yeah, yeah, it was during Christmas break. Like, early. we were we were getting, like, it was, we we recorded the 22nd. Yeah. And then, like, we got out the 18th, recorded the 22nd with Will, yeah. planned to do another recording sometime in December. That never happened because I had family over, and then set it for January, comp, destroyed yeah. our scheduling. And then this, yeah. Let's see, what are some other things that happened during that six months you broke your leg. Yeah, I did. I, I did. It was it was really interesting. What you know? What I learned? Don't slide on the first base of hardwood and floors, friends. Yeah. Um, speaking as someone who's broken a bone, it's not a fun. It's not a fun time. Yeah. Should I tell them the story? Do it. So, we were playing a game of baseball indoors, not like an actual baseball, probably like a wiffle ball, and uh, I had two attempts of sliding into first base. The second attempt is one that broke my leg. So, what I learned that day was that you don't slide in the first. Yeah, it's generally a bad idea. And plus, it's better just to run in the first because I guess you don't slow down. Actually, I don't know what it is. Well, I, I would think it'd be better to run because yeah. you can slow yourself down. So, what happened was uh, first attempt was successful. I slid in the first because I didn't want to get out because someone threw a ball at me. I remember the coach had told me, hey, don't do that. And I was like, all right, won't do that. Clearly did not go through my head second time. When I went to go slide in the second time, I remember, yes, my left leg, obviously since that's the one I remember being broken. I think part of the reason why it broke was I put a lot of pressure on my foot. When I went to, get, when I went to slide, that foot just for some reason decided, hey, I don't want to slide. And all that pressure, I just remember that I remember feeling the crack and also hearing it. Oh. And I remember falling onto the ground and going like, that was my ankle! <laughs> I still remember a coach coming over and go like, I told you not to slide. You should have done it. I know. And I heard that, he's asking me questions like, can you move it? And I was like, I kind of go, like, <laughs> And he's like, all right, we'll move you upstairs. That's what I did. Nurse came in. I also remember while I was sitting on the stairs, 
I just remember like, I'm getting really faint. So I remember I slid down on the floor, laid down, and I hear, remember hearing one of our classmates going like, I think Ben fainted. I think he's dead. <laughs> and I was like, but I, I, I really did not feel like talking, so I just raised up my thumb. With like, a thumbs up, like, I'm okay, but I don't think she saw that. It's, I, I think I remember hearing most of my classmates in that class say, we didn't realize how serious it was until, like, you're on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Similar with your fainting incident in biology. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, and I nearly, well, I basically fainted again during a blood drive. Yeah. We both had COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I was asymptomatic, and you had uh, some symptoms, but, like, no, I definitely had symptoms. But, like, not, like, where I could die or anything, but, man. Yeah. I was asymptomatic, and I was like, we it was right after our school's musical production, and well, actually, I had mine before the school musical. Yeah, I I got mine from the musical. Yeah, you were quarantined for what three weeks? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, I heard that. So what happened was one of our relatives had gotten sick. Our relatives had gone and visited them, did not know they were sick. Came home, started showing symptoms within the next couple of days. And I heard that they're like, hey, I would stay away for a couple days from me. I was like, oh boy, because I had been with them over the weekend at home. I remember actually staying at home from church because I like, there's an outbreak going on in the county. I'd rather not go to church, get it, think I'm sick, or actually spread something. That's a good call because I got sick that week. Mm-hmm. I remember. Relatives I had mentioned that had were showing sick or having symptoms, they test positive. And I heard that a relative that I had been with that went to see those relatives, like, went in the same day, went in the day that they found out they're positive, got tested, and then we were doing music rehearsals. And I remember that as soon as I got a text message going, Hey, they tested positive, I were going, like, I quarantine. Mm-hmm. You came, you came to school for like two days. Like, you never knew it. I mean, I remember at first thinking, okay, I feel like I might have allergies, but like. Yeah, that's, that was normal back yeah. then. I remember going, like, okay, I might have allergies. And then as soon as I found out, I was like, I need to go home stat. So I went to our uh, teacher, Miss Batten, and I remember that. I told her, hey, I need to leave. She's like, why? You, you're not supposed to get them all. I was like, I, uh. Relative, I have, I have these certain relatives that test positive. I relative that lives in my house. Yeah. Showing symptoms. Yeah. So, I think it would be best if I went home. ahead and went home quarantined. Mm-hmm. So that's why I did. For two weeks. Yeah, I felt like I was asymptomatic, didn't have any symptoms. It was only when one of our friends got tested and tested positive, and I knew I'd been around you that I went and got myself tested, and it came back positive, and I'd been going to school for three days, didn't know it, didn't know that they'd tested positive. This was after the musical, right? Mm-hmm. And I was quarantined for three weeks. Actually, no, it was three and a half. It was a month. Yeah, because I heard you were working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I heard that... Let's see, I think the week that I got into... I heard the day that I first started, I was that it was really acting up. It was like... Let's see, I quarantining on Wednesday. I think Thursday of that week, this was like in early January, probably the second week of January, I remember that, second or third week, 
I heard that Thursday, I was feeling completely out of it. I remember like, oh no. Yeah. And that was the same day I went to go get tested. And I heard that, funny enough, I heard that I took some ibuprofen, started feeling better after that. Went to the doctor, told him what I took. He's like, yeah, I don't take ibuprofen. That actually will uh, clot up your blood. It's like, oh! Yeah. Yeah, I won't do that, I think. I ended up taking aspirin instead of ibuprofen for those couple of weeks. Yeah. And I remember being stressed out during those couple of weeks because usually when I come back from Christmas break, I usually try and get back in the mood or get back in the swing of working. Mm-hmm. But I was at home. Mm-hmm. So you, you got left behind. You well, got left in the dust. Yeah, I think I maybe fell behind a little bit, but I got caught back up once I got back to school. But I also remember stressing about the musical because I couldn't go to actual rehearsal. So I remember that I had to do rehearsal through Google Hangout or Zoom. And part of the time, those were crash on me. Mm-hmm. And then... I think I didn't actually, well, let's see, I think within the last week of rehearsal stuff, that's when I memorized my lines, mm-hmm. which helped a lot, since I, I had a small role, I originally added the role that you had. Mm-hmm. Which, One of the main characters, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's probably better that I did the, the yeah. roles I did, well technically it's roles, since they all play the same character. You needed more time to work on schoolwork. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all that for comp. Comp was pretty stressful this year. It wasn't too bad at the end, but like, especially with how years went, like you had to redo sections. Oh yeah, I had to redo well, technically one section. The very first section I had all the sources, resources in. Mm-hmm. But I heard that whenever the third night was coming to an end, I would be like, yeah, God must not. And I was like, oh crap, I have not looked up new sources. Yeah. So I heard that one weekend I did that. Huh. Made my uh, review lit, and then uh, yeah, because I remember that Miss Miss Baldwin had said at the time that this data analysis that we were doing relies heavily on your review of lit. I was like, oh yeah, I need to get that done. Yeah, like a whole bunch of people had to replace sources because the websites were going down. Like December, well, not not December. December is typically when a lot of websites reset and, like, get ready for the new year. May, when traffic starts to, like, ramp up on most sites, like, especially for schools, they, then they'll, like, they'll take their websites down for a certain amount of time to fix things on it. Like, that's what happened to a couple of my sources. I had to redo things. Yeah. But it wasn't too bad. And then... Another thing I remember from like quarantine from COVID was a, uh, I know that Miss Fallbit, I don't know about any other, or other teachers had mentioned that whenever I was gone, like apparently she had, she had noticed that at the time, or like I guess she mo- probably noticed that the most students that were gone from COVID, that like they kind of have a presence in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And once they're gone, it changes how people interact. Yeah. Because I think she said that one of our classmates, since I wasn't there, didn't joke as much as usual. Yeah. Well, mine been another classmate also, but yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the one that sits in the final wall. <laughs> All right, so this episode serves as a correction episode. We don't want to get anything wrong, so we went back through our old episodes. And I realized that we may have not corrected everything, but it's a start. 
case we do another one of these in the future. Mm -hmm. So first up, we have correction for episode number one, Reptilians. So the movie that Ben mentioned around the 15-minute mark is called Race to Space, and I don't really have a lot of information, so I'm going to look it up. Alright. I, I, don't, I don't think... Yeah, that's not... We, I, There's this Race to Space now, too. What just happened? I don't know. Oh, I just back up. Okay. Oh, my port's gone bad. Look up Race to Space movie, because it looks like you're just getting space race. Yeah. Yeah, I spelled that wrong. Yeah, it looks. Like it. I like how the poster looks very oddly reminiscent to Star Wars films. It does. It's a monkey, a little boy, and then uh, two men and a woman on the cover. Mm -hmm. um, the film takes place during the 1960s space race between the United States and Soviet Union. Dr. Wilhelm von, I'm going to say Huber is a top NASA scientist relocated to Cape Canaveral with his 12-year-old boy, Billy. Their relationship becomes strained in the wake of the recent death of his mother, and the widening gap between them becomes obvious. Um, Billy's life takes an exciting turn when he is hired by Dr. Donnie McGinnis, the director of veterinary sciences, to help train chimpanzees for NASA space missions. That's cool. There are a lot of, like there are a lot of similar movies out there. Like, I think there's one about Laika, the first dog in space. Hmm. Um, I think they changed it so the dog survived in the end. They should have. That would have been a better sequel. There should be a sequel. All right. Sequel. The dog survived this time. Sequel. The dog. The dog still lives. He promised. All right. Episode two. The twenty seven club. At the time, I didn't know very much about the 27 Club, so when we looked it up, that gave me more information. Yeah. Um, so, uh, ben questions why I know how to get away with murder. Don't ask questions. Um, I want to. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Wow. Afraid we'll have to take this to the next level. Um, there weren't very many corrections for that one. There's just a couple of future references to go off memory. Yeah. Don't go off memory if you don't have the facts. Or if it's from a TV show you haven't seen in a couple years. Yeah, especially if it's a, uh, anything from the History Channel, because slowly over the years they've gone like, we just need ratings. We just need ratings. Um, number, episode number three, Australia's Haters, one of our most popular episodes. Um, so we had an, an issue with our YouTube channel regarding episode number three. We actually got a copyright claim against us for some of the information in the video. And we had to take episode three. Well, I'm pretty sure I just re-uploaded it without the, the, like I added out one part or another. Um, so during a, uh, the second one on there is during a follow-up interview with Xander, our guest for that podcast, we learned that he thought that the arguments were convincing, but ultimately they were just a, a bunch of misinformation. Yeah, like, I think it's just how you see people argue for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Xander's in debate, so he's seen pretty good people argue. Mm -hmm. But I think the only problem with Flat Earthers is there's people in there that know how to argue, but 
they're using information that is clearly not reliable. Yeah. Like teachers tell us Wikipedia isn't reliable when it really kind of is. Yeah. Um, so the next correction is, are we sure that Rager Reynolds isn't a troll YouTube channel? We are not sure of that. Ben Ben has an idea of some of that, but I'm not 100% like, sure. I feel like part of it is just, he probably just makes content for just like entertaining people. So we might have just looked at his one video mm-hmm. about Australia not being real <laughs> a little bit too seriously. Yeah. Mr. Rep- Gray Reynolds, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. Uh, if you're listening, please sincerely apologize. So there's a books link here. I'm not sure why it's... There it goes. Uh, okay, so... Oh, oh this is like, a chart. Yeah, okay, resurgence. So, so. Yeah, Flat Earth Resurgence Beliefs. So I think we had apparently asked that has there been a resurgence? Mm-hmm. So... Okay, so... What does blue mean? Uh, I think it capitalized. The one that's capitalized? Yeah, because I think it's just what it's been. So. Okay, so it shows quite an increase. So like, about maybe around like 1710, 1720, that's when the term really kind of took off. Mm-hmm. The first time. Then 1750, maybe around 1775. Yeah, I'd call it Those are two really big spikes that just went back down to... Actually, three, because there's... Yeah, And then once you get to 1800, it's a small spike, but then it slowly spikes up more and more and more. Yeah. um, Yeah. um, It's to the point now, like, it's the most belief that there's ever been in it. Or just people looking at it, I'm just being curious. That's true. This is, this is a search, um, chart, search engine chart. All right. Okay, so, who is Edmund Haley? I'm like 90% sure that it's the guy who discovered Haley's Comet, and I'll just look it up right now. Spelled it wrong. Oh. Yep. Edmund Haley discovered Haley's Comet in. When was this? 1758? I believe so. Let me look at the Wikipedia that And the next time that it's going to appear is 2061. I think. Actually, Haley's Comet is the same comet that there was a suicide cult in the 90s. That, oh, that yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. It's Heaven's Gate. They all drank the Kool-Aid, no, no, except for a, one of the guys. That's, that, that's, actually, that is... Well, well is a, I don't want to say Or I think about Jonestown, because Jonestown is the one with the Kool-Aid. I, d- I just didn't want to say the term. Say what? Got it. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, like Haley's Comet was supposed to be their ticket to heaven, I think. Yeah. In fact, you can still find the website for heaven. Really? Yeah, because I heard that. It's Heaven's Gate. Like, it's, it's in his 90s aesthetic. Heavensgate.com. How and when it may be entered. Wow, it is. Yeah. And there's the comet. Especially, I think As was promised, the keys to Heaven's Gate are here again in... What does it say? I can't read that. Uh, 
TL and DO. T and DO, the UFO too, as they were in Jesus and his father 2,000 years ago. Huh. So. There's a whole bunch of bookmarks. Order a hard copy of their book. You can get a copy of their book? For one, you know, I think I've seen somewhere that there's an email address on this website. Oh, that's what that There it so, is. Yeah. So that apparently someone actually emailed that address and they got a response back. And this was like probably from the last 10 to 5 years. Yeah. And the last time the site was updated and like you have to renew the domains every year. So someone's keeping this up. That's kind of scary. Yeah, but why would you want to keep this updated? All your members supposedly. Well, is there a resurgence? We need to find that out. Yeah, that's true. I can imagine if there's a resurgence, it's just on interest of the cult of leaders. I spelled it wrong, but it's fine. Heaven's Gate Revival from the New York Times. Time has been kind to Heaven's Gate. Okay, so this is... Maybe this is for a movie. Yeah, it's for a movie. So, whenever I think of Heaven's Gate, just because of the name of it, it reminds me of Far Cry 5, because there's a cult in that game called Eden's Gate. Mm. They're a doomsday cult in the game. And, like, two endings at the end of Far Cry 5. There's the, uh... Well, one's the canonical ending. Mm Mm-hmm. For it, which is basically nuclear war, Let's see. which leads into uh, oh, I have the Far Cry game that takes place after it. I can't remember what it's called. A uh, Far Cry New Dawn. That's canon ending. And then the ending that I'm choosing because I thought it was a good ending was uh, basically. You try to rescue your friends or something at the end of the game, and I read that. So there's this song that they basically use to hypnotize the character. Mm-hmm. Or it's basically like, they use it as sleep agent. And I read that at the end of the game, spoiler warning, I guess, you're in a truck with this one guy, and he turns on the radio, and it's that song. And your character looks at him and is like, what's wrong, then? Mm-hmm. Scene ends there. That... They need to make a full, full scene of it. It's like, he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Excuse order 66. <laughs> Alright, so... Redwood Ashes and Battery Struggles. That's not just, um, that's not just random words. It's actually the name of our episode. Yeah. Revelation so, 9, 14, and 15. So the reason why I figured this, we put it on the correction episode, is, uh... Well, in case if you were to remember, this is the episode about the U.S. military interact will, like, get come into contact with giants in the Middle East. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't exactly sure if this was, like, two verses taken out of context. Because I know that's what some people like to do sometimes. But another thing why I want to look at it is revolution... Not revolution. <laughs> Revelation is a hard book to understand part of the time. And at the time, is it because it's written some sort of code? Well, not exactly. Revelation has a lot of Old Testament imagery that, like, it references. 
I watched some videos on it. It's, it's interesting. And then other books in the Bible that are considered apocalyptic would be, I think, the book of Daniel. I know that is considered apocalyptic. And then I uh, can't think of any other. And then, well, there are in canon of the Bible. And then there's the another book that we've mentioned that is technically apocryphal. I mean, apocrypha book called Enoch. Which we've talked about it. I've thought about possibly doing it another so on that where we go into more detail. Mm-hmm. We'll add it to the list. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of what else about Revelation, so... I think just a lot of the wording is kind of confusing. Yeah. Like, like in the same way that you use that in a sentence twice to say that that something. Yeah. It's and just, it's very similar in the way that's where, like, all of the... All of the passages, like the the verses, seem to be kind of worded in the same way. Yeah. And then... I wonder if... Okay, so you know how some parts of the Bible are just meant to be metaphorical, not literal? Yes. I wonder if this is one of those passages. 14 and 15? Yeah. Saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euph- Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Because I heard that in the article that we read, they said that supposedly there's a prison along the Euphrates River or some sort of river in the Middle East, and I heard that they said that they used to like, pull straws so that because that prison creeped them out because I guess they supposedly saw things or heard things. And the guy then quoted this passage as saying there's, there's something locked underneath the Euphrates River. Again, I don't know if this is, well, I don't know if they're being literal or metaphorical. Yeah. Or I don't even know if this is an article I should take literally. Yeah. Since, I mean, this is a conspiracy theory podcast after all. Although I will say that if you're religious or Christian, there's going to be some things you're going to have to believe that are supernatural. Since, I mean, it makes sense. If you believe there's a God, then you believe there's going to be things out there that you can't understand. All right. In fact, it's also part how I look at it is another reason why it makes sense. Well, not makes sense, or I guess why I think it's. I, I know I've heard people. Well, I know over the years people may think, okay, we've gotten more or less supernatural thinking as humanity has progressed. Yeah. But we're seeing a video talking about a book that some guy had wrote. I think it was a. Uh, on this YouTube channel called uh, Religion for Breakfast. And uh, he mentioned that he had an author on the podcast, or not podcast, he mentioned that had written a book about, that argued we haven't become less supernatural thing, we've actually still have the same amount of interest. And then it also makes sense to me that 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 people have supernatural beliefs is, I mean, if you go look, if you go far back in human history, there's people that believe in things like there's gods, spirits, whatnot, so someone said that none of that exists, it's like, I don't know about that, because it seems like there's definitely been influence throughout human history, obviously. Yeah. Moving on to our very, like, this is one of our most popular episodes right now. The world's government is going to swat us. They haven't yet. Soon, though. We have a, we have a plan. 
Um, the definition of, and I can't read that on the screen there. I'll, I'll transfer to the Wikipedia page. How do you say that? Antediluvian. Antediluvian, okay. And the, the term for that, what does that mean? Before the flood. Before the flood. So, the flood of, and isn't it in the, like, the book of Genesis? Yeah. So, this is a term for, as I just said, before the flood. I was not known about this until I had a, uh, someone I knew tell me after listening to the podcast, it's like, oh, this is what it means. I was like, interesting. Because I think we were covering someone that was technically part of the ancient astronaut theory. Hmm. And they had mentioned, well, I mean, we're reading through the Wikipedia article and we had just currently read over this and that the person that I was with who knew about this was like hey that means before the flood I was like oh okay so I uh, looked up a Wikipedia article about it and that's what this is yeah so like I think I think we covered this in our um, flood narrative across different cultures I think we covered it when we talked about that yeah cause there's like there's one where there's like a giant ice dome and that melted and like my dad brought up a really good point the other day it's like he was it he opened the fountains of the deep could it also be deep space like water on meteors interesting or like was it specifically the earth or was there something else going on yeah. like I, I find i find it kind of interesting your dad's theory sounds similar to another theory i've heard from another person i'll tell you about later Flat Earth. Uh, no, it's it's not a flat Earth theory. Huh. But like, and that I watched a video the other day by. Uh, let's see, have you ever heard of a guy named Michael S. Heiser? I don't think I have. He's a. I think he's an Old Testament scholar. I actually am currently reading through a book of his called The Unseen Realm, which talks about the supernatural worldview of the Bible. It's interesting, through a scholar point of view. Yeah. I've also gotten, like, in the last month, some uh, books that are kind of religious-themed. One is a devotional by a uh, frontman of a band I listened to called Fit for a King. Mm-hmm. And then the second book I got is an archaeological book talking about the uh, evidence for the Exodus. I haven't read a, read a whole lot about it, but the first thing that I remember reading about, because it was probably the first chapter, was the uh, Egyptian religious impact on Israelite religion because yeah. it mentioned that there seems to be some influences alright so our next episode my home sorry, can you go back up of course I feel like there's not okay so we got down to anti-delivery yeah anyway, back, back to what I was saying about Michael Sizer I watched a video the other day and I showed it to my dad and this is how I initially got the uh, Unseen Realm book was the, uh, he had an art, he said that there's two different views on the flood. There's the worldwide flood or localized region, regional flood. Hmm. And he argued that there's technically enough evidence in the Bible, or at least in scripture, to argue for a regional flood. Alright. Um, the next episode, what is the melting point of bones? Arguably my favorite of the episode names. Um, the Aurora, Texas UFO crash of, what does that say, 1897? Yeah, I think I had mentioned it. 
but I did not know the name. UFO incident in Aurora, Texas. Uh, reportedly occurred on the 17th of April, 1897. According to locals, a UFO crashed on a farm near Aurora, Texas. The incident, similar to the famous Roswell incident, is claimed to have resulted in a fatality of the pilot and he was not of this world and said to be alien. The pilot was buried at the Aurora Cemetery and a stone was placed as a marker for the grave but has been since removed. Maybe we should dig up that cemetery. Let's find out. Yeah, just go there. What are you doing? Don't question it. We're, we're, we're looking for a crystal skull. Don't worry, it's for a podcast. Don't worry, we're not crazy. Um, so... But yeah, I read that. I think how I first heard about this was from, like, UFO hunters. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I'm going to try not to go off of TV shows I haven't seen for a while. Sorry for me. But yeah. This there's, is how I first heard about it. So. There's a theory that it's a hoax. I didn't do that. And there, it, it was on a UFO Hunters episode, you're right. Yay! Uh, Monster Talk Podcast. And there's an investigations tab. Um, Dallas TV station aired a lengthy report about the Aurora incident. Um, said something crashed in Aurora, but it was unable to find... Un- uh, conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial life or technology. The state of Texas erected a historical plaque in the town that outlines the tale and labels it legend. Mm. Yeah, I think I remember supposedly it crashed into a, like a windmill. No windmill, yeah. Yeah. But like part of it has somehow got into a well. So great, now we can't drink the well water out of that because now it's radioactive. Can't drink the nuclear radiation. On December 19th, 2005, yeah. UFO Files first aired an episode related to this incident titled Texas's Roswell. Um, the episode featured a 1973 investigation led by Bill Case, an aviation writer for Dallas Times Herald, and Texas State Director of Mutual UFO Network. That's a thing. Apparently. Mutual UFO Network. Strange. What else are you going to do with your spare time if you don't have a job? Move on. <laughs> So imagine just like, so what are you doing for a living? I'm part of MUFON. What's that? Mutually a fill network. Oh! You're crazy. Get out of my restaurant. Uh, uncovered by two, what, uh, um, uncovered two new eyewitnesses to the crash. Mary Evans, who was 15, told her parents, uh, told how her parents went to the crash site. They told her she couldn't go. And the discovery of the alien body. Chris, or Chris, I can't read. Charlie Stevens, who was age 10, told how he saw the airship's trailing smoke as it headed toward North Aurora. Uh, His father made him finish his chores later (laughs) and uh, went to the town the next day and saw the wreckage from the crash. Yeah, I want to go see what that weird thing is in the sky. Do your chores. Wash the cows. <laughs> wash the cows. Wash the cows. Wash the cows. No, wash. You have to wash them. You can't go anywhere until your chores are finished. You have to wash the cows. Um, Mufon's report eventually stated that the evidence was inconclusive, but he did not. He did not rule out the possibility of a hoax. The episode featured an interview with Mayor Brammer, who discussed the town's tragic history. Yeah. Oh, because my dad won't let me go do, look at the UFO after the crash. That's the tragic history. Yeah, my, my, my dad, uh, he um, he got hit by a UFO. Didn't know what to do. 
So Didn't we go him right then and there under the UFO. He's already under the UFO. The UFO you just cover stuff. it with dirt. We realized, oh, hey, people may wonder what the heck this gigantic tombstone is, so we made it look like a regular piece of rock. Exactly. Um, he still blows every once in a while. It's the coolest tombstone around here. References include original archive reports, um, BBC News articles, and Texas Hill County uh, newspapers. Mm-hmm. All right. Ben, do you want to talk about that? So another thing we talked about, and what is not the point of always, is how I have not apparently seen Rise of Skywalker. I've finally seen it. So I've seen technically all the Star Wars films now, but working on the TV shows. Kind of. I mean, not the moment, but whenever I get the chance. I've seen at least currently three seasons of three seasons of Clone Wars. All of the Mandalorian. I have not seen Rebels. And I have not seen Bad Batch. Bad Batch is pretty good. Yeah, I've heard. Um, Doesn't it kind of give some more detail on Order 66? Because I know Clone Wars. I think it does. Explained it through, like, for reason why I did it was an inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. In that's, that's what it is in Bad Batch. I know that all the Clone Wars, whenever Disney bought it, they kept Clone Wars canon. Since they explained that. But before Disney got rid of the old canon, I think they just... Had it where, like, oh, yeah, all the clones know about Order 66 just weren't told mm-hmm. to do it, or just like they know it's there, but they, yeah, have like, they, they're like, oh, yeah, we have to do that, and bomb, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, so the next one, the next correction comes out of Childhood Stories and Lincoln's Head. Lincoln's Head was a very interesting episode. Because we talked about Ball in that episode, and... And Jonathan Duplin called me a uh, spawn of Ball, I think. I did. Because I was born during that month. April. Yeah. Spawn of Ball. Um, There's a little uh, apostrophe in the middle, so I'm going to assume it's Baal, spelled Ball in English. B-A-A-L. Legendary god of the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. Usually pictured as an opponent of the god in the Bible, he was known to the Babylonians as Bel and the leading god of the Phoenicians. Usually associated with, I want to say, Ashtaroth in the Old Testament. He was also thought of as the son of chief Canaanite god El with Asherna. And I believe this is the... Uh, the not exactly fight or duel that like I think is it the prophet Ezekiel had? Um, I mean, I put down yes. the I put down what book is in because I think Elijah and the Ball Prophets. It's Elijah. Okay, the so contest, like, yeah. Yeah, so this is like so you you have your God do your thing. I'll have my God do my thing. Yeah. And I remember seeing somewhere that apparently a lot. Well, also looking through this, apparently Elijah mocked. The prophets of all, they're going, oh, your god must be using the bathroom. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crummy insult. Yeah. If you're going to insult someone, at least say your mom. <laughs> yeah, that's what my sister's done to me, which makes it more confusing, because we have the same mother. We have the same parents, so. If my sister's out there watching this, I got one question. Why? 
You should see, like, if her husband will, will figure that out. Also, our guest Will, who was on the podcast in December, mm-hmm. he's now married to my sister. Congratulations to the happy couple. Um, but remember the promise we made, Will. Yeah, he's definitely gonna remember now. <laughs> So, the next correction we have is uh, for the current known facts about the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark was so sacred that touching it meant instant death, and once, it's, once it was laid to rest in the Temple of Jerusalem's holiest chamber, only the high priest was allowed in its presence, and only once a year. Then Babylon sacked Jerusalem in the 6th century BCE, and the Ark disappeared. Did you just laugh when they said Babylon sacked Jerusalem? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just, I kind of imagine, like, the country Babylon, like, punching Jerusalem. Just like there's a city with some gigantic fist. Yeah, pretty much. Just like... When you left, I originally thought it was just going to be like, you know, the city of Babylon, suddenly gigantic sack, just the whole entire city of Jerusalem, and just... This is the episode where we talked about Indiana Jones, uh, Raider of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and then I think that we also talked about... We like, talked about the Nazis. And then we also talked about the Ark, because I remember that. Yeah. Was like, we were like, Can't, do you die if you touch it? And we were like, I don't know. Yeah, correction right after that is, we're still really not sure if the Nazis actually went after the Ark or the the Holy the Holy Grail. Yeah. Um, you want to do that one? I need to look. I'm doing it, because I've watched enough videos... That, I don't know if that would actually, or I read some articles explaining why the Book of Enoch is not canon. Yeah, we might need to look up some more. Yeah, I don't, because I don't know. Because it's been such a long time since I actually. Let's see. Let's see. So, the first book, Enoch, also called Ethiopic Book of Enoch. Pseudo. Or how do you pronounce that? Not including canon of scripture, whose only. Com- Complete extent version is the Ethiopic translation of the previous Greek translation made in Palestine from the original Hebrew or Aramaic. Okay, so it doesn't explain why it's not canon. <sighs> Thank you, Britannica. Um, so, the book of why the book of Enoch. So this is one of those. Yeah. So I think part of the reason why it's not considered canon is because people oh. don't think it's inspired. What makes sense? A short section of First Enoch is quoted in the New Testament. New Testament. Letter of Jude, one chapter one, verse four through f- fourteen through fifteen, and there and it is I can't speak English I can't read that, and is there attributed to Enoch the seventh from Adam? It is argued that the writers of the New Testament were familiar with it and were influenced by it in the thought and direction. Let's see. So I think I, another thing I've seen also is some people say, oh, it clearly shows in the Bible that certain books quote Enoch. Mm-hmm. But another thing I've also seen is, could it be possible that this book was actually written after some of these Gospels? So, like, Basically, the Bible isn't based off Enoch. The, the Enoch is, like, based some... On the Bible, yeah. Like, well, basically, Enoch is... some parts. Basically, what they're saying is maybe Enoch was written and just took some verses or quotes from these other books, or I guess technically the time, letters, and just, like, made it seem like they quoted Enoch. Mm-hmm. And I know that so there's other apocryphal books which apocalyptic yeah well not not I didn't mean like apocalyptic because apoc- I mean I'm talking um, about like apocrypha there's 
I remember watched the video talking about it. It was like talking about different types of apocryphal books. It was by a guy on YouTube named Mike Winger. And uh, some of these books are actually kind of books meant for like the early church. I remember that he said one of the books was basically kind of like a beginner's or like a beginner's guide to religion. Or no, like a beginner's leapish class. Oh. Like, okay, so you're no longer pagan, you're trying to be Christian. And then there's some books that you can just tell are just straight up fabrications, such as like you got the Gospel of Thomas, Infancy Gospel of Thomas, which, if I know correctly, Infancy Gospel of Thomas talks about Jesus' childhood. Mm -hmm. But it's just so wacky and out there that it does not make sense. Because, so whenever you think of Jesus in the New Testament, whenever it talks about him, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Cross. I mean, other than the cross, but like characteristic-wise, like nice, caring, kind dude. In the NC Gospel of Thomas, he straight up kills people. Uh, I mean, that that might not fit our idea of Jesus, but maybe it would have actually happened. Yeah, but like I think it's also been dated that this book came after most of those Gospels. Because mm -hmm. around this time, there were people, I guess, trying to go like, Yo, guys, I found a book, and it's from one of the disciples. And it's like, Dude, you just made it this yourself. No, I didn't. This says, by you. No, it clearly has Thomas on it. No, it's... Get out of a group, you know, I'm friend. Daniel, it says by Thomas, but it's your handwriting. Alright, so Dead Sea Scrolls... The Dead Sea Scrolls were found near Quran, I think? Qumran. Qumran, I can't read that. By shepherds, written in Hebrew... Possibly had some apocalyptic literature found with it. Yeah, I remember that. Like, this... wasn't it in jars? Yeah, in jars. Something like that. And, um, trying to go back to the. Uh, I want to go back to, like, I'm explaining more of the apocryphal, apocryphal literature. Go for it. Like, as I said, some of it is some stuff that was actually helpful at the time, may not help now, but. And then. Uh, I heard that another thing that the same guy had mentioned. So, you know how the Quran mentioned some stuff about Jesus? Yeah. So, I heard that the guy mentioned, well, I don't know if we have any uh, Muslim listeners out there, but I heard that the guy had mentioned that he think it's possible that some of the things from, like, the NC Gospel of Thomas and maybe the Gospel of Thomas had somehow made it into the Quran, mm -hmm. or somehow Muhammad had read these. Because I think he said there seems to be some stuff in the Quran that has mentions to these stories. That sounds... sounds right. Yeah. Which, to me, I see it as it kind of makes sense. Because, let's see, you got Christianity that shows up around, like... Well, technically, I think it starts to show up around, like, 33 AD? Because that's when Jesus started his ministry. Yeah. And then... Well, you mean... Like, not AD, because it's not... Well, I mean, like... Like, after his birth. No, they, no, they think that, like, 33 AD is the time that he either died or started his ministry. Because he would have been 33. Mm-hmm. And then... There's another thing I'm trying to think of. I remember that same guy also mentioned... Because he also has a video on, like, end-time stuff, but not, like... You know, the world's ending. It's just, he talks about different views on the book of Revelation. There's like six different ones. There's the historical view, which I think the Seventh-day Adventists have. Or our common 
and Seventh-day Adventists were basically they try to look through history and align it with prophecy. Like, okay, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have any Seventh-day Adventists out there, our listeners, that I think some believe that the Catholic Church is possibly one of the beasts that rises out of the ocean in Revelation. I'm not sure if that's correct. I, this is just stuff I've read on the internet. Again, feel free to correct us. The internet wouldn't lie. <laughs> the internet never lies. Alright. And then another view is that all the things that happened in Revelation happened around 70 AD. Because there's people that have looked up or that argued this point by looking up quotes by Josephus, Joe I believe he's a Jewish historian. And like, it's interesting because they can find stuff that sounds like that. They can back it up, but it's also kind of like, I don't know if that's exactly true or not. Because I think Josephus might mention something about, and there was like soldiers in the sky or something. This might be something we need to look up also. Yeah. Can do that real quick. What specifically? Uh, Josephus tried to look up soldiers in the sky or something, see what happens. Because he was talking about, I guess, how Rome had ransacked Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Armies in the sky. Okay. Armies in the sky. And this is from strangehistory.net yeah. in 2011. Uh, one of the most celebrated reports from antiquity of bizarre goings on in the sky appears in Josephus' history of the wars relating to 65 AD. Um, skimming over it. Uh, besides these, a few days after the that feast of the unleavened bread, isn't that Passover? I believe so. Uh, on the twenty-first day of the month of Artem Artemisius, I think, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable, were it not related by those who saw it, and were not the events that followed it. The destruction of the temple temple in seventy of I can't read that. Of so considerable nature as to deserve such signals. For before sun setting chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running among the clouds and surrounding the cities. I can't see the screen. <laughs> so what did you think of what that said? Angels. I'm thinking angels. Yeah. Are you thinking of the ones you see, like, oh, yeah, the classic art ones are the, uh, do not be afraid. Wheels. Wheels. Um, like, if you've ever seen, like, a biblical depiction of angels, like, in, like, a, like... There's a reason why they say do not be afraid. Yeah. In, in modern, in modern, um, depictions of angels, that's people with wings and a halo. Yeah. Golden halo. Um... Biblical depictions of angels are absolutely terrifying because it's basically a circle with a whole bunch of eyes. And well, I think that's one type wings. of angel. Yeah, there's, there's multiple. You got the cherubim, the seraphim, and I think there's some descriptions of them in Ezekiel. Yeah, like looking them up, like we looked them up a while back for planning this episode, yeah. and it was pretty scary. Yeah. Like. I know that we even joked about it, just like some guy, should, like some angel shows up and like, 
Do not be afraid, for it is I. Wheelie boy. Alright. Wheels. Wheels. Um. If there's any angels out there listening to this, I'm sorry. They're, they're listening right now, Ben. Um. Like, do are Catholics the ones that believe about, like, guardian angels? Or is I, that. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Um. So, same episode, but. Right. We had. I believe we referenced these two verses in relation to the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, you want to look those up? Uh, Deuteronomy 6.13 Fear the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. I think we probably misquoted that one. I don't oh, yeah, cause, oh yeah, because I mentioned like on that episode because I remember that because I remember like, it says fear the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then Proverbs 9.10, NIV, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Because I remember that, I think at the time, whenever I said that, I was like, oh crap, there's probably some context I need to look up, obviously, because this was before. What's funny is, due to this podcast, it actually got me reading to my Bible more, because I read times like, I have not read this in four years. Um... Conga line of space debris. And then, like, but yeah, I think the reason why I added that, like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and understanding is because I didn't want to just say, oh, yeah, you should just constantly feel fear of the Lord. I mean, you should, since, you know, he's omnipotent. Yeah. And, like, has better standards than we do. Yeah. Like, he created this, he, he would know best. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I also felt like it was like, oh, so, so I didn't want to just, like, go, like, there's one side of this, you all got fear, and it's, like, I mean, have to, but it's, like, also, it's not just negative, it's, you get some benefits out of it, obviously. With, um, con- like, Conga Line and the Space Debris, that was second, was that our second? No, I think it was our third. Well, I mean, I'll look. our episodes kind of went out of order, because I think we had to re-upload them at some point. Yeah, some of them got re-uploaded, some of them had issues with recording like the same amount of audio quality especially like our christmas eve episode had a lot of audio quality yeah issues um is episode four episode four conga line of space debris diseases coming from space um why did you have vocal food management on here i don't know it just popped up it's like oh no because i looked up how to spell it and it came up with that so I think, like, at the time, we discussed with Jillian how, like, some meteors might bring diseases, and that's how, like, certain things started. Yeah, because I, I watched the thing about on Science Channel on general, but mm-hmm. I never, like, brought up information. I just mentioned, like, hey, think about Billy. So, so, Fred Hoyle and Shandro Worker, I can't see that. Can you? So, what is it? Wickrum. I'm going to say Shandra Wickham. I can't even say it. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it either. Um, You can look it up on Wikipedia, Diseases from Space. It's a book. Um, They spent over 20 years investigating the nature and composition of interstellar dust through many hypotheses, and regarding this dust had been, let's say, postulated by various astronomers since the middle of the 19th century. All were found to be wanting as... That wording is just very confusing. When new data on the gas and dust clouds became available, uh, 
Chandra W., as I'm going to call her, proposed the existence of a polymeric composition based on the molecule formaldehyde, H2CO. Um, okay, so in 1974, Chandra W. proposed her hypothesis that some dust in interstellar space is largely organic, containing carbon and nitrogen, and followed this up with other research confirming the hypothesis. Organic. When, when that word comes up, I think immediately of plants, like organic food. Like a lot of vegan food and a lot of vegetarian food will have organic non-GMO on it. That's what my mind goes to. Also, another thing I'd like to clarify for earlier, since we brought up a bunch of physical content, me and Jonathan are experts, although we probably should be very knowledgeable of levels since we both are Christians, or at least try to be good practicing ones anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, like all human beings, we fail at some things. Oh, but, so like... But I mean, like, you know, fall down, but then we should get back up, try to... Get back on the horse. Mm-hmm. So... Hoyle and Chandra W. went further and speculated the overall spectroscope data of cosmic dust and gas clouds also matched those for desiccated bacteria. This led them to conclude that diseases such as influenza and the common cold are an incident from space and fell upon the earth in in what they term pathogenic patches. So... If influenza came from space, and the common cold supposedly came from space... Why do you think COVID? Maybe. <laughs> COVID you came from space. You, you see, guys, it wasn't a lab leak or a wild animal in China that made its way into a wet market. It was just space. It was space debris that gave us this horrible disease. See, I also like how the title of this book is Cold Disease from Space, and it sounds like it could be a 1950s film. It also sounds like it could be a song. There are sirens going off outside. Guess what? They're here. Oh no! Run! I'll barricade the door. I'll get the secret exit. Secret exit to portal. I'll do what all other American embassies do whenever they're getting taken over. Destroy all- Get down! (laughs) Destroy all information. Um, so, other than this, it looks like the evolution follows the Darwinian model. They speculate that the genetic, con- the genetic material in the form of incoming pathogens from the cosmos provided the mechanism for driving the evolutionary engine. Hoyle died in 2001, and Chandra W. still advocates for these views and beliefs. Um, does it say anything else in this article? Because I remember that the thing that I mentioned from a TV show that I remember is supposedly it turned the rain red. Um, hold on. I'll look for like, it. That, like, it was a meteorite that crashed on more. Well, if it has, like, a majority iron composition and it got into the water supply, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So, diseases coming from space. Red rain. Disease X. Oh. That's Ebola. Red rain in Kerala. Although this is January 5th, 2021. Yeah. When was this? September 2001? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Look, there's a photo here of red rain. All right, let's see. The, the
Kerala Red Rain phenomenon was a blood rain event that occurred in Wynad, the Wynad region of Malabar on Monday, the 15th of July, 1957, and the color subsequently turned yellow. And also, 25, the 25th of July to 23rd of December, 2001, when heavy downpours on red color, of red-colored rain fell sporadically on the southern Indian state of Kerala, staining clothes pink, yellow, green, and black rain was also reported. Oh, it was also reported in 1896 and several times since, most recently in June of 2012 and uh, November 2012 and December 2012. So this... So if it's like a majority of iron particles, that would make sense. Because um, evaporated iron, I know it exists, it's very dangerous. Um... It like it's. I'm trying to think the word. It's for, it's quite possible that like, iron dust, got like in the, in the rain or in the, in the water and like in the like it shows the picture of the sediment right over there. So I'm thinking it mixed with dirt at the bottom of a lake. That water eventually dried up, and it like it caused the red rain, the blood red rain. And then I think also mentioned some other causes for it also in the below it. Doesn't. Okay. Uh, table contents. Oh. Initially thought that the rains were colored by fallout from a hypothetical meteor burst, but a study con commissioned by the government of India concluded that the rains have been co colored by airborne spores from from a locally prolific terrestrial green algae, the the genus Trentifolia. Okay. So, that's so, crazy. Yeah. Like, imagine walking outside. You'd think it's another trial from God. You're like, oh, it's raining blood. That's a song. Of course it's a song, man. There, there are There's many. There's a lot of songs that talk about blood in the metal genre. I just want to talk about all of them because some of them just scar me. Yeah. Jonathan knows what song I'm talking about. I do, and I don't want to speak of it. Don't look it up. I'm not looking it up. I meant for our listeners. Just don't. Yeah, don't don't look it up. Is this what it was? The I think it is. Because okay. it says, yeah. Okay, so Japan Airlines Flight 1628 was claimed was a claimed UFO incident that occurred on the 17th of November 1986 okay. involving a Japanese Boeing 747 200. Okay, after Roswell or before Roswell? Um. I'd say uh, first year post science last in nineteen forty seven. Charlie Maddox, you can even talk about. Nineteen forty seven. Um, Washington's Mount Rainier. Uh Maybe it was in Washington. I don't know. This one. Right, so this is from Wired, June 24th, 1947, an article titled, They Came From Outer Space? Speak of the Devil. They published this on June 24th, 2011. So this is like a vintage article they published on you, or? I, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll find out. 
Uh, Pilot Kenneth Arnold sights a series of unidentified flying objects near Washington's Mount Rainier. It's the first widely reported UFO sighting in the United States, and thanks to Arnold's description of what he saw, leads the press to coin the term flying saucer. And it shows him holding a picture of, I want to say that looks like cartoon depiction of the moon, like a crescent moon, or a or croissant. A That's true, a batarang. It does look like a batarang. What type of UFO was it, batarang? <laughs> it was a flying croissant. I mean, I've heard people say flying cigar-shaped UFOs. Yeah, those are the ones that just look like a tube. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Arnold was an experienced pilot with more than 9,000 flying hours. He diverted from his flight plan, Chenali, to Yakima, Washington, to search for a Marine Corps C-46 transport plane reported down in the Cascades near the southwest slope of Mount Rainier. Sweep of the area revealed nothing, and Arnold resumed his original course. He recalled that the afternoon was crystal clear and was cruising at an altitude of 9,200 feet a minute or two after noting a DC-4 about 15 miles behind him and to the left. He was startled by something bright reflecting off his plane. At first he thought that he had nearly hit another aircraft, but as he looked off in the direction the light had come from, he saw nine, quote, peculiar-looking aircraft flying rapidly in formation toward Mount Rainier. Okay, so would this be under the recently declassified UFO uh, information that the FBI or whatever just released? Do not deviate from your flight path. You'll get a call from the aliens. Um, the strange tailless aircraft flew between his plane and Mount Rainier and then off toward the distant Mount Adams. He, no he noted their remarkable speed. He later calculated that they are moving at 1,700 miles an hour. That's like Concord speeds. Like supersonic. He said it got a pretty good look at their back, or black silhouette outlined against Rainier's snowy peak. He later described them as saucer-like disks, something the gentlemen of the press glommed on very quickly. So, like, we haven't really talked much about UFOs in this podcast. We've talked about them a couple times. Yeah, we like Roswell and then like yeah. the we, we cover the popular ones. Yeah. Um, it didn't. They didn't alarm him at first because he assumed that they were some kind of experimental military aircraft. That's how it starts. It starts with an experimental military aircraft. The next thing you know, aliens have come to the planet and taken over our brains. Uh, in fact, the official Army Air Corps positions that Arnold had seen um oh they they suggest that he saw a mirage or was hallucinating that's what they always do he insisted he was perfectly alert and lucid adding that he was not a publicity hound either he also invited the army and FBI to investigate the army sent a couple officers out to talk with Arnold even though they concluded that a man of his character and apparent integrity almost certainly saw what he claimed to have seen, the army's initial verdict remained unchanged. So they think he's crazy. <laughs> like, that's how we view people that see UFOs. Yeah. Um, as Arnold's story leaked out, other people stepped forward to say they had seen the objects. So, 
he's not crazy. It's folly ado. Do. do you know what that is? No. Madness for it means madness for two, but can often spread to more than just one person. There have been several murders committed that way. Oh wow. Um. So. This next um, correction. There's no episode with it, but I'm assuming it's Starfish Prime. Sounds like a Transformer to me, because it's the only one that we don't have any corrections for. And I noted some, but I don't remember where I put the piece of paper. I put this correction down, but how did Plato? Yeah, like how did? Because there's one episode where I mentioned Atlantis. One thing that comes to mind is how did Plato know of Atlantis? Plato's. I can't read that. Can you? Plato's criteria. Yeah, whatever. So, he heard the story of Atlantis from his grandfather, who heard it from the Athenian. Athenian statesman. So on. Three hundred years before Plato's time, who had learned it from an Egyptian priest, who said it happened a thousand years before that. So it's a game of telephone. It's a. It's an ancient game of telephone. Oh, what? So yeah, I saw Atlantis. Yeah, he saw Atlantis. Yeah, they saw Atlantis. That dude a couple thousand years ago saw Atlantis, so clearly.